through the summer months at Reset and Rebuilding and how it is that we're going to move forward. And I want to talk today about a relational reset, a relational reset. When Jesus was coming to the end of his time with his disciples, just before he was about to go to the cross and sharing the Last Supper with them, he did a couple of things. One of the things that he did was to wash the disciples' feet. He wanted to show them a new way to live and a new way to be. And it's at this point that Jesus gives a new command to them, a new, new way of relating, a new way of being together. Jesus says in John 13, 34 to 35, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus is looking to reset their relationships. He's looking to give them a new command, a new way of living that actually means that when he's not there, they know how to respond to each other. They know what it is, what it actually begins to look like. John Tyson says the proof of discipleship is not how much we pray or quote the scriptures. The proof is in how much we love one another and our love must be marked by Christ. I love that thought and that quote. Often we can get this view of discipleship that just means about things that we do um, in our little activities, but actually it's marked by love. The way that we love each other, and it's marked by the love of Christ in our lives. And so Jesus gives this command to his disciples, and I believe he would say the same words to you and to me. Love one another as I have loved you. And so if we're going to think about relationships and a bit of a reset to the way that we view one another. It starts on this foundation of love. How are we going to love each other and pursue relationship with each other? I've got two points for us today that I think will help us to see how we can reset some of the things around our relationships, but also rebuild some relationships moving forward as they've been impacted by the pandemic, perhaps time apart. But now as we come back together, we can build some brilliant communities and relationships together. Our first point is stubbornly loyal relationships. Stubbornly loyal relationships. Now when we hear about being loyal or committed to each other, we can think that perhaps is fairly simple or fairly easy. And many of us um, like to connect with people around us that actually are similar to us. We look for similarities in the things that we enjoy, the um, the kind of context we like to be in, um, the themes of our lives that we love to do together. But the danger is that all that we do is love those that are similar to us. We spend time with those that are like us, rather than those that actually we perhaps don't get on with so well. But Jesus has some interesting words for this in Luke 6, starting in verse 32. He says this, If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And, even, and if you lend... To those to whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But here's a challenge Jesus gives us. But love your enemies and do good to them. Lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be the children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. What a challenge Jesus gives us to think about relationships. To push past those that we would naturally connect with or click with, 
to go for those that we would even call our enemies, to lend to them, to love them, to be merciful and generous to them. These are challenging words to Jesus. But if we're going to be communities and relationships marked out by the love of Jesus, this is a different way that is going to mark us out. You see, it's easy for the world to understand love when we get on, and it's easy. But the world does not understand the love of enemies and those that we don't get on with. And so it can be easy for us to relate to one another when we just get on. But what about those that perhaps we don't get on with? Or what about when our relationships get tough or we just want to tap out and say, actually, I'm done in this relationship? John Tyson, um, in his book, Creative Minority, has used this word stubbornly loyal for relationships. And I absolutely love it. Because he says in in his book, Creative Minority, we need the stubbornly loyal relationships that will fight for one another that will fight for relationship at all costs. This is a relationship that actually we're not willing to let go of. We're going to fight for. And we're stubbornly loyal when we hold on to each other and when we build strong foundations with each other, when we need each other and those deep relationships. See, I believe with what's coming up over the next few months and years, we need one another more than ever. We need deep relationships with each other. We need deep relationships to welcome in the new people into communities, those that are going to find salvation in Jesus Christ over the weeks, months, and years ahead. We need deep, loving relationships to welcome them into. Now, all of us have been through um, a shift in our relationships when we think about the pandemic. And um, it changed an awful lot about our relationships. It limited the time that we could spend with people. We shifted our time and our focus to being online And it changed and it challenged our relationships in lots and lots of different ways. And it might be that now, automatically coming to mind, you can think of relationships that feel strained or even damaged because of um, the pressure that's been placed on them. But I want to challenge us this morning. What would it look like for us to have stubbornly loyal relationships? To pray for those people that perhaps we've fallen out with or we've lost connection with. Are there people that we need to say sorry to this morning or to offer forgiveness to? Is there a way that we need to bring healing to the relationships around us? Are there relationships around us that need a reset, that need that opportunity where we can proactively go to others and love them, even those that might even hate us at this point? You know, I'm so grateful for um, long-lasting friendships over many, many years that I've got with many people in the community around us. People who will stand with us, people who have challenged us, who at times we've fallen out with, we don't agree on everything, but actually we've stuck together through the difficulties, through the highs and the lows, because we believe in one another, the relationship above anything else, and what God has for us in the midst of it. And I'm grateful for those people, those people that know my life deeply, that I can share with honestly, and I can um, be truthful about who I really am. That doesn't come over a few weeks, that comes over many years, and it comes through being stubbornly loyal to each other. Let's not let little um, disagreements or um, little moments of time that we just don't get on to separate or to damage relationships. Let's pursue each other with stubbornly loyal relationships. The second thing that I think we've got to take on board or have in mind is that we're to be knitted together into a living network of community. We're a living community. This is how our love is supposed to outwork. We're meant to be one together and connected. Ephesians 4 gives us an image of this and a picture of what this looks like. Paul says, writing to his friends, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. 
Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And this is a great statement that he then goes on to make. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all. Who is over all and through all and in all. What an incredible statement. You might want to take some time this week just to think about that and meditate on it. But what Paul is bringing together in this moment is this idea that we are one. You cannot separate us out onto any of these dimensions, whether it's about what we believe, our faith, whether it's what we put our hope in, whether it's our Lord in Jesus Christ, our Father um, in God. We are called and united, one body, one spirit. It's a brilliant description of what it means to be one. Now, in an individualistic culture all around us that promotes this idea that we can be an island and be on our own, that we should just be ourselves and forget what else the world might think about us, it can be hard to comprehend what this means to be drawn into such deep and wonderful relationships together, to be connected and knit together in this way by God himself and the unity of the Holy Spirit. Now, the book of Acts shows us about what this looks like. And I recently read through um, the book of Acts over a couple of days just to get this picture of what is going on as the church is born. And you see this incredible living network of people who are just following God in their day-to-day life, who whenever they travel to another city, they connect in with other people who have heard about Jesus. And this community, this uh, missional community is built together. There's a living network of people who are connected, who are journeying together in faith. It's a wonderful picture. And I'd love you to read the book of Acts with that lens. This wonderful living community, this web of kingdom activity and network together. Right across the Roman Empire, they spread into every city. And you can read how they moved from city to city and established these networks and these communities of people who are living and active as they hear from God and follow him in their everyday lives. And I love that picture. A living network spread out across the known world. It was the image that Jesus gave them in the the beginning of the book of Acts to go out to the ends of the earth being the witnesses to Jesus and telling them the good news of the gospel. This living network of people, I believe, is what we are called to be as the church of Jesus Christ, as one. So that wherever we go, there's connections, there's relationships, there's networks with other people. We're to be loyal and to love like Christ within these networks. But it starts with how we view each other and how we view success. That's the foundation for us. How do we view one another and how do we live with each other? Proverbs 3 gives us a little picture of this. It says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Paul, picking up this similar idea, talks in um, in Philippians chapter 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Dear friends, I love these two phrases or these pictorial images of being bound around a neck, love and faithfulness, connection and relationship with each other, being like something we tie and bind around our neck. And then Paul takes on this idea that actually the people that he loves so deeply, who he, has, who he longs for, are actually his joy 
and his crown. Now, he's taking an interesting picture here, this crown, because he's actually using the word, the same word that was used um, for those that got an Olympic crown when they won um, the gold medal, if you like, in Olympics. Now, we might be watching the Olympics a bit at uh, the moment or having seen some things, and you can see the celebration and the joy on people's faces when they win. You can see it um, in the coaches, in the family members. There's just this joy and celebration that emerges. And that is exactly what Paul wants us to hold in mind when he says, you are my joy and my crown. It wasn't a medal that they received in ancient Rome. It was a crown that was placed on the head for the winner. And so for him, it's just like that, the same sense of that medal for him as we see it, but for a crown as he's describing it. But I'd love us to think about this idea That that joy, that celebration that people have when somebody wins the gold medal and you can see all of the people celebrating and going wild with joy and with celebration, that's the same joy that Paul is saying that he has for his friends. How much he longs to be with them, how much he loves them and cares for them. He's saying, you know what, I view you as somebody who's crowning my head. When you succeed and you flourish and you do well, it's like a joy to me. It's a wonder to me. I wonder what would happen if we viewed each other like that. That when you succeed in life, when you're flourishing, when you're doing well, you're like a crown on my head or a medal around my neck. You're like somebody who I can celebrate with, with joy and with exuberance as we see what Christ is doing. I think that's the kind of love and joy that Jesus is talking about when he gives us this new command to love each other, to hold each other, or have this idea of hanging, we have each other hanging around our necks as a medal that we've won. It's an attractive community because people want to be part of such joy and such celebration. What would change about your relationships if you viewed people around you as your prize and your joy, as an opportunity to win a medal? When they succeed and flourish, you delight in it. How would it change the way that you um, connect and interact with people? Would it shift some of those things around competition or even just trying to be better than or um, resentment when others do well? What would it shift in our lives? Because this is the picture that the Bible gives us. Now, if we're going to have a relational reset, I believe we've got to choose love on a deep level. We've got to have stubbornly loyal relationships and we've got to be built into a living network, a living community of people together who, uh, who have joy and celebration about each other and our lives with each other. What would it look like for us to pursue that together? That for me begins to excite me as I think about communities built on relationships like that where we have relationships over many years, stubbornly loyal, but we also have um, relationships that are full of the joy and celebration of one another. There's a new command from Jesus and a new way of living. But what does this begin to look like for us? Because I believe this involves everybody getting active involved, everybody viewing the relationships not as something passive or something that's just going to happen, but actually something that we can all connect to and get involved in. This is for each and every one of us. I want us to begin to hold in mind perhaps a a different way of viewing church. And there's a phrase that um, that I love that I think is really helpful for us as we begin to view our relationships and church. And it's this. We're a house, not a restaurant. We're a family, not a business. We're a house, not a restaurant. A family, not a business. You see, we're a family knit together as a community, a living network of people as a family together. We're not a business. The church isn't a business. It's a family together on mission. And we're a house, 
not a restaurant. You know, if you go to a restaurant, you expect service, you sit down at your seat and someone's going to bring you the food, they're going to um, serve you, they're going to wait on you, you're going to put your order in. But if you go to someone's house and you're in your family home and some family member just sits down and clicks their fingers and is expecting somebody to serve them, we would instantly have an, a reaction to that. That's not the way that we live. That's not the way that we serve one another or love each other. Think about a big family celebration, perhaps a Christmas meal or an Easter meal together, where there's loads of family members, there's loads to do and to get involved in. Nobody's thinking about the hierarchy of what they're doing. Everyone just wants to contribute to bring something. Some people are bringing um, pudding and drinks. Some are preparing the vegetables, some the, the meat and the feast and the food. And there's this sense, actually, we all come together to collaborate and to journey together. We all have a place and a role within a house. So we're a house, not a restaurant. We're a family and not a business. And for me, that's a helpful description for us whenever I'm thinking about what does it look like for me to contribute to the family of God. To be stubbornly loyal in my relationships is to say, this is my family, I'm not going to let go of them. And I'm going to be knit together with them as a living community and network of people. Imagine if we began to live like this. Imagine if you viewed those people in your life group your community, your location, as those people you're going to be stubbornly loyal to because you are knit together as a living community. I believe that can reset our relationships and set us on course to be an attractive community to the world around us, all based on the love of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are our Heavenly Father. You are above all, in all and through all. And today, Father, we declare that you are good, you're merciful and for us. And we ask today that you'd knit us together as a living community, a network of people who love you, who love one another and who love the world. And God, I pray that we would be stubbornly loyal to each other. You'd help us to build strong bond of relationship and of peace, that would build long, lifelong, lasting relationships that we see the world know that we're your disciples by the way that we love one another. In Jesus' name, amen.